of all the divine encounters in the Bible, they're pointing us to this divine encounter where people really do see the glory of God. Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear. And I'm Emerson Brown. Thank you for tuning in to the 67th episode of Working with the Word. Today we are talking about a question sent in from one of our listeners for our Difficult Passages series. This is a question about Jacob wrestling with God, the passage in Genesis chapter 32. We appreciate any time a listener brings in a question. So Jeff, why don't you introduce our question today? So like Emerson mentioned, if you have a Bible, have it open to Genesis 32. We'll be there reading a text from Genesis 32, 22 through 32 in just a moment. Tiffany wrote us in and asked the question, did Jacob really wrestle with God in Genesis? And if so, why does it say later in scripture that no man has seen God's face and lived? As we're looking to tackle this question today, we'll want to mainly focus on that idea about okay, what happened in this experience when Jacob wrestles with God. As it talks about later on, is that God? Is that some other type of divine being? Are there other examples like this in Scripture? What does it say about people who see God? Uh, let's start off by just looking at this particular story here in Genesis. So Genesis chapter 32, read with me in verse 22 through verse 32, or follow along and listen to the reading. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Genesis 32:22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So this passage, you know, we maybe are familiar with this story of Jacob wrestling with God. Sometimes maybe your Bible headings have here within this area, Jacob's name being changed. We want to just do a quick, and we're going to do our best. We might have that in quotes, as Samer sign offs and do, but we're going to do our best to give just a quick summary about why this story is so important in Jacob's life. That'll help lay some foundation for talking about what's going on in this story and similar stories in the Bible story. Yeah, for this story to be right here, it seems so random, and it seems like so strange. Like there's this random stranger that Jacob starts wrestling with all night, and so it's helpful to kind of back up and, and have a little bit of context what's going on. If we were to put the significance of this story in a really quick, concise statement, it would be Jacob the deceiver finally acknowledges his own weakness and dependence. And I think that's the point. 
Back in Genesis chapter 25, we read about Jacob's birth, along with his twin brother Esau. And Jacob is named Jacob because that name means deceiver. Oftentimes in the Bible, names mean something very significant, something to do about their character. Jacob, indeed, is a deceiver, even from before his birth, when he grabs Esau's heel, tries to pull him back in the, in the womb. Even from that moment, he's always trying to get ahead, always trying to supplant, always trying to manipulate to get his own advantage. Later on in Genesis 25, he kind of swindles Esau out of his birthright. Genesis chapter 27, he literally steals the blessing out from under his brother. And then at the end of chapter 27, we find Jacob fleeing from Esau, running away from home, understandably, because Esau is understandably angry with him for deceiving. Finally, Jacob meets his match when he runs across Laban in Genesis chapter 29, 30, 31, and 32. And Laban, it's kind of funny when you read that whole section between Jacob and Laban and how they kind of out, try to out-cheat one another. <laughs> Who can out-deceive the other? Laban ultimately cheats him in wives and his wages. And so as we come to chapter 32, what's going on is Jacob has finally had enough of Laban and he's taken his family. At this point, he's got Leah and Rachel as his wives. And of course, he's got more sons than he knows what to do with. Uh, <laughs> and he's going back home with his huge family. In chapter 32, at the beginning of the chapter, he hears that Esau is coming to meet him. And he's afraid because last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. Right. And so this is kind of the context of what's going on with this wrestling story. Jacob's on his way home. Verse 7, it says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. So basically, here's a situation that Jacob can't control, right? Mm -hmm. Here's something where he can't manipulate or talk his way out of this. He thinks that Esau is coming to, to fight him or attack him. And so for the very first time, we see him expressing genuine faith in God. In verses 9 through 12, he prays to God. And in this prayer, he actually mentions the promises of God that God had given to him way back earlier, reminding God, hey, you know, you've promised to protect me and take care of me, so definitely protect me in this situation. As we come to verse 22, he has sent his family across the creek, and he's left alone while everyone goes ahead of him. And so with all of that in mind, that's what's going on as he wrestles with, with this, this strange man, is he's kind of at a really low point in his life. His family is helpless, they don't have any defenses. He himself is afraid. He can't manipulate or control the situation. He's got nothing left except to trust in God. As we think about the wrestling account itself, there's, there's more detail that we have recorded in the book of Hosea chapter 12. I think it's really helpful to kind of go forward a little bit because there's, there's some things that Hosea points out that help us understand the story. Mm -hmm. Hosea chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 Hosea is talking about how the Lord has a dispute against Jacob, his people. And in verse 3, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his maturity he contended with God. Yes, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He found him at Bethel, and there he spoke with us. Two or three things that come out from this Hosea text. One, it says in verse 4 that he wrestled with the angel. Mm -hmm. So we're not told in Genesis who this strange man was, but Hosea tells us that this is a messenger from God. This is an angel sent from him. It also says in verse 4 that he prevailed. 
which mm-hmm. is interesting because, you know, in Genesis, it kind of sounds like he loses the battle, <laughs> the, right. the wrestling match. He walks away with an injury. But this tells us that he prevailed. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, in what sense did he prevail? How did he prevail? Later on in verse 4, it says, He wept and sought his favor. So Hosea tells us that while Jacob had this man in this chokehold, he was weeping and he was begging for his blessing. This was really an admission of Jacob's desperation and his inferiority. You know, at this point in the wrestling match, the angel has just touched Jacob's hip, like just just divinely, miraculously just touched it, and boom, it's out of socket. It's kind of like God is showing Jacob, you don't know who you're dealing with right now. <laughs> you're, you're dealing with someone who has the power to do a lot more damage to you. And so Jacob realizes that, won't let him go, and he's holding on to him, demanding or begging and weeping for the blessing. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, in an entirely different context, it says, the lesser is blessed by the greater. I think that applies here in the sense that Jacob recognizes he's the inferior here, and so he's weeping for, begging for the blessing from from God, from the angel. You know, the significance of this whole story for Jacob's life is that it's a turning point. It's a transition moment for him. He is renamed Israel. He walks away limping, which is a permanent reminder of this encounter, that I've wrestled with someone that had divine power. Mm-hmm. And so the paradox of this is that Jacob does prevail, but only when he admits he's lost, only when he admits defeat. Finally, he sees how much he needs God's grace and blessing in order to obtain the promises. So that's a little bit what's going on here, but that doesn't really answer our question today, does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good to see how this relates to Jacob's story. I think that's a really great point. He prevails when he admits defeat. I mean, that's so often the Bible story what looks like death or the end is often the victory through God's work and through what God is doing. So when we think about our question then, at least maybe the first part of our question from Tiffany, did Jacob really wrestle with God? Who's this God? You know, we see from Hosea, it sounds like this is an angel. Even in Hosea, Emerson, you're reading from the New American Standard, is that right? Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the ESV. The ESV uses God instead of him there in Hosea 12, 4. And so maybe there's kind of a back and forth here. To answer this question, did Jacob really wrestle with God? The short answer is yes, but also no. Uh, So let's, (laughs) obviously, if we're going to try to answer like that, let's explain that a little bit. We're going to say yes in the fact that he saw a portion of God's glory. And along with this story, there are other examples in Scripture where we see people having an encounter with Sometimes it's described as an angel, or sometimes it is described as God. Maybe those two kind of go back and forth somewhat, and you see that they're concerned because while the statement isn't made here yet, eventually we'll get to the statement in Exodus where God says, no one can see my face and live. And so let's look, for example, in Judges chapter 6, in verse 22 and verse 23. Gideon has been having encounters with God. God has been speaking to him. Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. 
Gideon has this moment of, uh-oh, I'm going to die because I've seen the angel of God here. He's come before me and has been having this conversation with me, telling me how I'm going to be this deliverer of the people. But God comforts him and says, no, you're not going to die, as he's seen this portion of the glory of God. Later on in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 13, we see a similar situation where Samson's parents are confronted by an angel of the Lord. In Judges chapter 13, verse 21 through 22, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. The Manoah knew he was an angel of the Lord. And what does Manoah say to his wife in verse 22? We shall surely die, for we have seen God. There's obviously this understanding of if you have a divine encounter or an encounter with a divine being, that you should be fearful for the power of God and really the overwhelming glory of God. I've heard the illustration used before that God is like the sun in this way, the S-U-N. And the thought of that is not to say that God is the sun, that we should worship the sun. It's definitely not that. But the thought that the sun is a powerful you know, celestial body and the fact that the power it creates, the heat, the energy, if you were to, you know, somehow design a spacecraft to go into the presence of the sun and you hop out of that spacecraft, you're burnt up like mm-hmm. probably within less than a second. Maybe you get a couple of seconds. When we're recording this just a couple of months ago, we supposedly quote unquote touched the sun for the first mm-hmm. time yeah. with that probe or with that satellite. But I think if we were to try to go really go and stand like within the sun, we would be burned up. We would be obliterated. That's the point of God's glory, even more so. If we were to really encounter all of God completely and fully, we would die. And so here in the example, I think, with Jacob and with Gideon and with Samson's parents in Judges chapter 12, they saw God's power, and so they thought, we're going to die. But they also see his grace and the fact that they don't die. And so, yes, they do see a portion of God's glory, but The answer, you know, maybe to think about the question, did Jacob really wrestle with God? I think there's a part of this we could also say no, because he doesn't see God's full and complete glory. And we think about this as the statement is made in the book of Exodus. We're going to get to Exodus 24 in a second, but let's stop on the way in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, not long after the golden calf story, And Moses then comes and wants to see God's glory. He's asking for him to be kind of shown his full glory. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, God says to Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. These people are not experiencing God's full glory. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 9 through verse 11, after the Ten Commandments have been given, We see, and after the covenant has been ratified and read before the people and they agree to keep the covenant of the law of Moses, in Exodus 24, verse 9, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet as if it were pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. Did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They saw God's uses illustration of feet. Is that really God's feet? Do they see (laughs) big old feet in the sky? I think that this is just a portion of who God really is rather than the full completeness of who God really is. Moving farther in the Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1. Maybe you remember Ezekiel's crazy wheel within a wheel (laughs) and eyes all around vision. Yeah, really strange vision. Yeah, 
Ezekiel is one of those guys who I feel like if he was my preacher, I would be terrified because it would just be like, <laughs> he is crazy in all the things he talks about and says. Wild hair. <laughs> That's right. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 28, it says, Above the expanse over the heads there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire, and see it above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw was there a gleaming metal, and the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw there was appearance of fire and a brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. That's really, I think, some of our key understandings here that when we see God within these stories, whether it's with this angel or with his feet or seeing a throne, we're seeing likenesses of those things. But even that is still not really his full glory. It is a just an image that even that image alone brings awe and fear and wonder and amazement to who the God is that we serve. We have not yet beheld him for who he truly, really is. Mm-hmm. Even at the end of that passage, we didn't quite finish Ezekiel one twenty eight. I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. So, yes, I think that Jacob did see a portion of the glory of God, but no, he has not seen the full glory of God. This idea when God says in Exodus 33, verse 20, no one shall see me and live. Okay, so if, if Jacob did wrestle with the angel here, how does he survive if the Bible also says that about God? And how do Samson's parents and Gideon and Ezekiel and any other prophet that has a glimpse or a vision of God, sometimes called a theophany. I think the point when God makes that statement is, again, you can't handle my full glory. I don't think God is nervous about people like as if it's like, you know, his hair is messed up, so he doesn't want people to look. It's not that at all. Mm-hmm. When we see these descriptions of God's hand, feet, eyes, ears, all this, there's a much deeper topic to go into about what God's glory really is and what that means with uh, relating to this particular episode today. Yeah, to kind of run with your son illustration, I think it would be kind of like, you know, we, we can't stare into the sun with the naked eye because that would damage us. The fullness of it is just so powerful, so strong, but we can't look at photographs of the sun. You know, we can see something of the, the sun on paper and see kind of the spots, we can see the brightness of it, but to look at it, you know, with our naked eye, that would, that's too great for us. And so it'd be kind of like that. Maybe that's not a perfect illustration, but, you know, in the Exodus passage, Exodus chapter 33 and 34, God does show him a portion of his glory when he says, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put you in this rock and I'm going to close the place up and then I'm going to pass by and you'll see my back. So he does see something of God, but he doesn't, like you said, see his full glory. He's not, look, he's not staring into the sun, but he is seeing maybe a photograph, if you will, of, of God's glory there. I feel like in, in one way, when we were prepping for this episode, it really just created more questions than, <laughs> than it, as, as oftentimes Bible study will do, right? As we do observation and interpretation, as we're trying to understand meaning and get to a better understanding, we'll get to more questions along the way. Yeah, and, and before we move on to what those questions are, I think it's important here to point out that there really is no contradiction right. in these passages. You know, on, on one hand, God says, you cannot see my, my face and live. The point is, you can't see my face. You know, you can't see the fullness of it. But at the same time, 
you've got passages where Jacob walks away from the wrestling and he says, I've seen God face to face. You know, he, he's not really, he's not wrestling with the, the theology behind it all. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just amazed that, wow, I wrestled with someone who was sent from God. Maybe in his mind, he thinks this is a manifestation of God himself. But looking at it as a whole, there is no contradiction because Scripture is clear that, that there are several degrees. I think that, you know, in the Ezekiel passage, the emphasis is on the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. You know, the repetition of those words, the appearance and likeness, mm-hmm. shows us that there are several degrees of separation that Ezekiel saw the Lord, but you know, through through several filters where he couldn't see the fullness of, of the glory of God. But yeah, just trying to think about how one can can see something of God, whether it's in one degree or another. I mean, it raises questions about well, what is that like and how can God possibly be seen and described in human terms, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that I've started to form some of my own questions from Tiffany's questions, which is great. I feel like that that's you know helping me to to drive to learn more, and ultimately, I think if I actually pursue those questions, will help me to what the goal of Bible study is to know God better and to hopefully be transformed by what mm-hmm. I'm understanding and learning from that. With this particular episode, we think about a so what idea. We're kind of taking a hard turn a little bit, but we want to turn to the New Testament. And we want to point to Jesus. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, Beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Of all the divine encounters in the Bible, they're pointing us to this divine encounter, where people really do see the glory of God. That's talked about there. But it's not necessarily the full glory of God, as in now this is clothed in human flesh. That does not negate the glory of God. That does not you know, make God less here, does not make man more. The point of this is to say is that the greatest divine encounter is when Jesus comes down in this way. Jesus says, I'm going to die you know, you'd before, it'd be people would see God and think, I'm going to die. But Jesus comes down as God and as man and says, I'm going to die. And as he does, he provides way for people to live. No time has God's glory been seen in this way. And it's not just people seeing Jesus with their eyeballs and living. It's that they're finding the eternal life in Jesus that only Jesus can provide as he shows us God's true glory. I think one of the things that we could say as we look at the whole story of the Bible is that God has been showing himself like little by little in these small glimpses of his greatness, whether it's Jacob wrestling with God, whether it's Moses on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, or in Exodus 24, eating with God, with the elders. All of those are small glimpses of God's power and glory that lead us to Jesus. And of, like you said, that's no time has God been seen with such clarity. Also in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who would be Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So in that verse, we are told no one has ever seen God, but now you're seeing God in a, in a whole new light. You're seeing God in, with much more clarity. And so I appreciated, as we think about seeing God, turning to Jesus and seeing 
that Jesus is the, you know, the grandest expression of who God is. So before we completely leave this episode, two quick things. Number one, Tiffany, we hope we've answered your question or given at least some of an answer. Maybe it feels like somewhat of a cop-out to say yes, but also no. But hopefully <laughs> that makes sense. Hopefully we've explained ourselves. Secondly, you may be listening to this, either you, Tiffany, or someone else, to be honest, you might think, no, they're completely off on that. Well, then let us know. We're always welcome to the feedback from others and understand that you know, as we've talked about this and looked into this, that we feel confident in our answer, but we know that there are things that we can still learn as well. So let us know. Yep. Uh, That's the joys of Bible study. Amen. That's right. Our challenge that we want to use here is if you have any difficult passages that you would like us to deal with or to talk about within these series that we do somewhat sporadically from time to time, but we'll try to get to them. We've got a list already of some who have mentioned to us, and we promise someday we'll try to get to them. (laughs) But if you've got something you want us to add to that list and want us to discuss, we'll do our best to give our honest answer to it and our honest approach to handling God's Word correctly and rightly dividing the Word of Truth and being good people who work with the Word. Thank you for tuning in to Working with the Word today. Our next episode that releases will have something to do with John 13 through 17 and continuing our John series and we'll be reading that section. We're in kind of a weird schedule right now. This episode will release we'll either have a baby or we'll be about to be having a baby in my family and so we're going to be doing some kind of interesting modifications to our schedule for the time being but some point we will get back into john and we hope that you'll continue to follow along in that study with us until then however long that may be if there are questions or topics or books of the bible you'd like for us to cover in future episodes of working with the word you can find and reach out to us on facebook at working with the word on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.